2: Well, thank you for having me, Cheryl. I really, really appreciate being here.
0: Yeah. So Anita is in California and we're pretty excited to talk to her. I mean, one of the, um, the benefits, if you like, of coronavirus, and, and I know there aren't that many, but it has given us access to authors via Zoom and authors that aren't necessarily in Australia like yourself, which is great.
2: Oh, it's wonderful. I did a Facebook Live event with Tanya Blanchard last week which was super, super fun, you know. Yeah, she's (laughs) wonderful too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let me introduce you. Anita was born in Sydney, Australia. She received a BA in English literature with a minor in creative writing from Bard College. She is the author of The Light After the War, which was inspired by her mother's survival story during World War II. Her latest novel... Lana's War, is a riveting and heartfelt story of a young woman recruited to be a spy for the resistance on the French Riviera during World War II. And as we said, Anita is in California. So all I have in terms of my research note is that this is your second book. Is that right?
2: It is my second book of historical fiction written under my maiden name, which is um, Anita Abriel, Under my married name, Anita Hughes, I've written about... um, 15 uh women's fiction um sort of light romantic li- a bit you know lighter romantic women's
0: fiction oh right okay that's why i couldn't find anything so talk to me about growing up in sydney talk to me about that and i really want to know how is it then that you now live in america
2: so i my, my parents were both um holocaust survivors And that's the light after the war is my mother's story of her, how she got to Australia from Europe. And then my father was also a survivor from Lithuania. And they came to Australia separately and met in Sydney, Mm. probably in the 50s. And I had an absolutely wonderful childhood. I grew up in Bellevue Hill, you know, eastern suburbs. Yeah, very nice. I mean, you know, now as a hardworking, struggling (laughs) author and mother. And, uh, and I, I, you know, truly believe that Australia is truly the promised land. I mean, we, we had a wonderful, I went to um, Kambala. Very nice. (laughs) Very nice indeed. And my, my brother went to first Scots, but back then they had to cut their hair short and, and they actually still got the cane which is pretty bad when you think about it. <laughs> Brutal. So um, he actually then transferred to Cranbrook. So yeah, when I, when I, I show my children, you know, pictures of us in our Kambala uniforms and the, the view from, from, and I was like, yeah, this is our school and that's the Harbor. But I also grew up going to Leslie McKay bookshop in Double Bay, which was then, which I actually, when I was 20 and came back and lived in Australia for a year. I worked at Leslie McKay's bookshop.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. Um, yeah.
2: When it was on, it's in Oxford now, right? Or In Willard, I think.
0: Yes, that's right.
2: Yeah, so when I worked there, it was on New South Head Road in Double Bay. And in, in a way, Leslie, that she didn't know, it was kind of my mentor because um, I would sell so many copies of one book. I would sell all these Edith Whartons because, like, that's what I liked. I remember meeting Rupert Murdoch's wife at the time, Anna. Mm-hmm. She was she was publishing her first book and Peter Carey used to come in. So it was sort of my first taste of, um, and then I think actually Leslie went and worked at Penguin for a while or something. So it was sort of my first taste of a little bit of, you know, literary culture. And I, you know, just kind of ate it up. And what spurred my writing was when I was eight, I won, so the Australian newspaper had a writing contest for children. They probably still have it. It was in the Sunday Australian. And I won the nationwide contest. Oh, my, wow. And yeah, it was so exciting. They came to the house. I got my picture taken. I got $25, which I still joke at my book signing, which is pretty much the equivalent to what I get now. I bought a pair of clogs. <laughs> and But the headline said and Australia's next great writers. Um, and it had, you know, pictures of us while I had one of those coconut haircuts. So it was, you know, is that's, that's kind of what spurred it.
0: And then, so you had a passion for writing earlier on, but why is it that you left Australia for the first time? Tell me that story.
2: So that story is my father had a textile mill, uh, in Australia and, um, he in the 70s, I think it was sort of mid 70s, uh, the Labour government let in a lot of uh, imports from from Asia. And so he lost his business. Oh, no. And so we went first to Montreal because he had a, a business associate there. And we get there, you know, it's January. Oh. We leave the tennis courts. It's- freezing (laughs) to weather that i don't even i don't i didn't think existed and actually my father wrote a memoir which hasn't been published he died last year at the age of 98 saying that he he thinks he did it to punish himself you know for for losing his business that he exiled us to to the deepest darkest montreal (laughs) so from there we were we were a little bit like what should we do he was trying to rebuild a business
0: were you 16 yeah I was how did that uh, feel because I mean they're formative years aren't they you're building an identity you've got friends you've got your own social life you're independent and you're wrenched away from that
2: oh it was terrible it was terrible and i and I used to you know just, long for a reunion with, with my friends and long to be back at Kambala. And, and of course we didn't have social media then, but, you know, I'd still talk to them and know what they were, you know, they were in third form and fourth form and they were going to their dances and they were becoming prefects. And I still to do this day, One of my friends there, Alana um, is still one of my closest friends, you know, from, oh, from, from you. third grade. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it was, it is not a good idea to move across the world (laughs) as a teenager. Mm
0: -hmm. And how long were you in um, Canada?
2: For a year. And then, then truly my, my father said, we, we, this is too, my brother said, this is too cold. I need to go surfing. That is literally what my brother said. And we ended up, he went to a ski shop And the guy, my brother says, I want to go surfing. And the guy says, well, you should either go to Virats in France or Cocoa Beach, Florida. So we went to Cocoa Beach, Florida. And we lived there uh, until I graduated from high school. And I actually had a newspaper column in the the paper that was called Down Under with (laughs) Rue. And it had a a little picture of me, you know, in, in a kangaroo's pouch.
0: What did you write about in that column?
2: I guess everything. It was sort of my weekly column. It wasn't as cool then to be Australian. You know, a little bit later it became the coolest thing on the planet to be Australian. Once once Paul Hogan put the shrimp on the Barbie, it was, you know, it was the coolest thing on the planet. But until then, no one had heard of Australia.
0: Mm -hmm. And so you're writing a column. So you started writing very early on then, haven't you? That has... Been your passion yes. since you won that award, you know, yes. when you were eight. Were you a great reader as well? Oh yes, yeah, huge, huge reader. Yes, yes. Yeah. And
2: when I was actually, when we got to America, because they didn't have any friends, um, the first summer I actually wrote a whole novel, and uh, my mother typed it out for me, you know, on the carbon copies, and we sent it. She sent it to an editor at Harper, and what was Harper and Row then? And it was a really wonderful young adult novel. I still know the, the, the uh, plot. And I got a revision letter oh, from the wow. editor who was actually a very famous editor who died, you know, like in her nineties, very famous. But I, being new to American, being raised on the Brady Bunch, I wanted to be a cheerleader. <laughs> so I didn't answer the revision letter. I didn't do the revisions.
0: Yeah, wow. Terrible, terrible. <laughs> It's terrible. <laughs> but you know, that's what being a teenager is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And that's
2: what being a displaced teenager is. You
0: know, you, because want, to fit you, want, in. you want to fit in. That's what I was just yeah. about to say. You want to be accepted and you want to be like the people around you, don't you?
2: But yes, I read, I read, I think that whole summer too, I read nothing but Agatha Christie. Mm.
0: And so when did you start thinking about writing seriously? So then I
2: went to college and I ended up at Bard College, which is a very good, small school in in new york state at the time um because i wanted to do skiing <laughs> so i picked colleges as far away from florida as i could so could go skiing and they had a good creative writing department and that's when i started you know sending in short stories to vogue and cosmopolitan and and all of that kind of stuff and um that's when i really i was a
0: english major with a minor in creative writing Mm-hmm. I often wonder when I think about writers and, and of course when I talk to them so many of them like yourself have started writing well before the discipline of being taught or the discipline of a course how do you think that affects writing you know that that affected your writing so were you writing something quite differently before you studied writing I mean t- talk to me about that well it's I think a that's very, really interesting
2: very interesting question and, mm. and- I may not have the most popular answer because there's so many different writing programs. Mm-hmm. But my mother always used to say, and my mother I always thought was a writer. She, you know, she worked as a copy editor at J. Walter Thompson and she she you know she was always a writer. She always used to say I was like a tap. You turn it on and I could just, you know, I could just write out and honestly, I don't think my writing has changed at all. Oh, wow. I, I, I think that your writing, you, you can learn things and you need to learn things. And I'm always learning things and trying to correct mistakes. But your writing is the main thing about your writing, I believe, is your voice. And when I first started sending out my first novel to agents, they liked it because they liked my voice. And... I think you're born with your voice. You know, it's not something I try to do. And that's why I think it's hard for a writer to do this or that when you do this or that, because you don't really have that much control over it.
0: It's your personality, isn't it?
2: Yeah. It, it's, you know, you can hear them in your head. It's the voice. Mm. That, that It's the voice that you put on the page. Mm. And I, I think it's the voice that readers and I as a reader respond to.
0: And so when then talk to me about your first book, how that came about and how you came to be published.
2: So then I then I wanted to go and get a PhD, because I was madly in love with books. I mean, I read every single thing you could, you know, every British, every French, every everything. Every, But then I actually ended up marrying very young at at the age of 23, when I was getting a master's in English and creative writing from UC Berkeley after spending a year in Australia, actually, when I was like 21, because my parents had moved back. And so then I got married when I was 23 and ended up having five children. Wow. (laughs) And so that put writing off for 20 years. So I didn't actually try to get an agent or try to get published until 10 years ago.
0: But were you writing during that time no. while you were raising children? Not at I, all?
2: No, which which is I helped my husband run his business, which was a more than full-time job. Right. Did he, you miss it? I didn't miss it because I read all the time. Right. You know, I'd read while I feed the baby. I used to dry my hair every day so I could read while I'm drying my hair. <laughs> I, I, I read all the time. Yeah. Um, And I think like, like many writers, I never actually thought I was really good enough to get published. So what what was I missing? You know, Mm. that that still was a dream that doesn't happen. So no, I, I didn't actually think about it. Ready to pop the question? Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
0: So when did you stop thinking about it? And in 2008,
2: our business had a dip because in America, the economy, you know, went to, to didn't, wasn't doing well. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, oh, I'll, I'll try to write a book and see if I can make some money. Not knowing that, you know, publishing didn't
0: pay very well,
2: to put it mildly.
0: It was a bad idea. (laughs) Bad idea.
2: Especially when America was in the midst of, you know, disaster, the economy at the time. Um, But I was lucky enough that I actually got an agent really right away. And she actually sold my first two books Right away.
0: So, what had you written? What were your first two books?
2: Um, so, my first one, it's available in a, well, it's probably not available anymore. It was called Monarch Beach because I was living at the time, as I told you, um, in, the, in Monarch Beach in Southern California. And it was about a woman who discovers her f- French chef husband wrapped around his female sous chef. Yeah. And so accepts her mother's invitation to go stay at the St. Regis in Monarch Beach. So it was, it was contemporary women's fiction and uh, it was really fun to write. And that led to 14 more books with all different locations and sort of different, which was also really fun to write. One of them was actually made into a Hallmark movie last year. It's called Roman Love and it, it, they actually went to Rome and filmed it. So that kind of took my love of travel. I set one in Rome and the French Riviera like this and all sorts of different places.
0: And so what then made you change your genre, if you like? Well,
2: I always wanted to write my mother's story.
0: Yeah.
2: And, you know, it was very, very important to me because I admired my mother very much and her story was absolutely fascinating. And and I grew up with all the Holocaust stories. You know, I mean, there were so many survivors in Australia when I was growing up, and many of my friends, their, their parents were survivors. And so that was very much around me. And I just really think I felt I, re- I needed the writing experience. I needed to really be a good, good writer before I could delve into her story and have the confidence to tell it well and to really go a lot deeper. And so, you know, I waited like seven years and she also died of Alzheimer's during that time. And I, I wanted to, you know, to really remember her. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandmother lived with us and, you know, who's also in the life world, lived with us and, until she died, mm-hmm. and, you know, until I was 20. Mm-hmm. So they spoke Hungarian to each other, you know, mm-hmm. at home. So I really, really grew up with that stuff. And so I was just thrilled to write it and thrill at the response that it got and
0: so you you, you pretty much went from writing, you know, lighthearted rom coms if you like, or feel yes. good stories. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then you moved, wow, from yes. that to yes. this. And yeah. I know you that you've written fiction and it's based on your mother's story. That kind of been easy because it's kind of a you know, as we were talking about oh, completely comes. different. Yeah. Completely different.
2: Yeah. And then of course, Lana's War, you know, is historical fiction, but, you know, most of it, some of it is real and some of it isn't. So I've completely changed course. And I really, really enjoy it because to me, writing is about delving deeper and really finding the emotions and, and about, especially about, you know, women's struggles to overcome things and, and bravery and courage and trying to make the world a better place in some way. So it's it's very satisfying to write it, satisfying to have people read it. It's been an interesting switch, but it's at the end of each writing
0: day, I feel very satisfied, like I've, I've done something. In writing your mother's story, and I know you grew up with it, but was there anything that you discovered about her that perhaps oh, you didn't know? Many, many things, many things. Talk to me about that.
2: Well, the one, one thing that, that set off the whole story is that my grandmother used to kiss my mother twice on the neck before she went to bed. And I asked her when I was you know, older, what was that about? And it's because, you know, it's in the story. She They were living in Venezuela after the war and my mother married and the guy was very jealous. And he came to where my grandmother was because they had come and shot my mother in, in the neck twice, and then killed himself. And so, you know, these were some pretty serious things to be learning.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, So again, sort of the courage and she was, you know, she was younger than than my children are much Mm -hmm. younger, you know, early 20s. So I learned I learned a lot. And I learned a lot just about World War II in general about the Holocaust and about how many, young people, they were like her, how they were dispersed all over the world and had nobody and had to find each other again. Uh, I had six or seven aunties growing up in Australia because my grandmother was one of like eight children, Mm. you know, and so they all had stories, but they all had to find each other again after
0: the war. It's so extraordinary. I mean, you know, I've read so many stories and, you know, of course we grew up studying it at school, but one of the things, the human side of it that I often think about is that these people just went in search for a normal life. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, I and think they that- weren't in search for fame. They weren't in search to tell right. a story. They weren't in search. I mean, you know, often people didn't speak about their story. They just wanted to live their life.
2: And a good life for their children. And I think that's why so many of them, including my parents, worked really hard. My father worked nonstop. A a good Jewish husband and father, you didn't see because he was at work. You know, in those days, the the good Jewish husband and father, they they weren't home. They were at work, building for their family because everything had been taken away.
0: Yeah, it's extraordinary. So you've really put yourself in a different place, I guess, in terms of writing. So- are you thinking about continuing this line of writing? Yeah. What You yes. are. Okay. Talk yes, to me about that.
2: So Lana's work, you know, is out now. And then I yeah. do have another one coming next year um, set in uh, Florence and Tuscany during the Holocaust. Another story that I unearthed, um, which just has amazing bravery in it. So, yes, I will continue with this. Yeah. Because there are so many stories to be told.
0: I mean, I think it's endless, the amount of stories that need to be told. But I like how you've always changing your location because it does, we talked about, made reference to that earlier, and really you were doing that with your previous style of fiction as well, is incorporating the travel element. Tell me about yourself. Have you been a huge traveller? When I was young, I, I, you know, because
2: like all Australians, right, yeah. you always know, Australian goes for a week because, because it takes too long to get anywhere. Exactly.
0: I keep trying to tell my American friends that they say, oh, you always come over for four weeks. Well, it takes me a week to get here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. When I, when my oldest son was little, we used to go visit my parents in Australia for 10 weeks at a time. You're not going to drag yourself across the world for, but since I had all these children, no, but I, again, because my parents were European Um, And I think because I was raised in Australia, sort of, so with all sorts of different cultures, I do sort of like being around the world in my books. And I'm a very visual writer, so I really like to see what I'm writing, and I like to be able to visualize the place I want to be. So writing Lana's War, which is set in the French Riviera, even though it's the most shocking time in the French Riviera during the war and terrible things happened, it was still wonderful to be writing about Kate Farah and Khan and Nice and,
0: you well, know, It all those gives things. the fiction a bit of a balance, I think, you know, because otherwise yes. it's very hard going. Yeah.
2: Yes. And that's what I get from readers that it's, it's lighter than a lot of Holocaust fiction, that my books are lighter because there was still love, there was still beauty. You know, there's a real love story in Lana's War.
0: Because again, um, people were still trying to live a life within exactly. that. Atrocity, weren't they?
2: I mean, you yeah. didn't just stop. It's like now, you still don't stop. You still yeah. have to eat and you still you do all those things. So, yes, I really like finding new locations to set these stories in.
0: As a parent of, of five children, and I'm thinking about this because I, I had a conversation last night with friends and children and resilience, and having had your background, right, and you were probably the luckier of that generation. And then you have your children. Do you think that what experiences like that do to form who we are? Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. I think
2: um, while I don't wish those experiences on anybody, of it certainly builds very grateful and hardworking people. Mm. They say that, you know, here in America, the immigrants are the, the hardest working. And it was true, again, of my parents here. You know, my father, again, worked very hard to reestablish something Though we ended up, both my parents ended up going back to Australia because it was just easier. And, but those kind of experiences and even what we're experiencing now, mm. you know, with, with, with COVID, it makes you grateful for everything. It just makes it grateful for the simplest things you can't really want anything
0: because you can't do anything. Mm. I was talking to friends about it last night because there's been some families that I don't know the re- reaction has been really terrible that it, this is ruined my children's life. And we're talking about, you know, kids that are 20 that attending college or university, if you like, and aren't now they're doing it remotely. And, you know, they've just completely panicked because they've lost control of the life that they had and they worried for their children. But then there are those that, that are looking at it. And this is my point of view too, that this is the fabric of who we are, how we get through this makes us the person we're going to be in five years, doesn't it? Or oh,
2: I mean, absolutely. I, mean, I have a son who's a freshman in college and, right. and you know, he he is his dream. Uh, he actually is at, is at Princeton. Um, wow. You know, yeah. worked super hard yep. and he, they're not on campus this semester. Luckily, no. they will be next semester. But I said to her and I said, he's such a positive person. You could put him in a le- leper colony and he'd do just fine. So it is definitely about the attitude, you know, and, and, and it's very hard to ruin children. They, they can find fun in anything. You know, it, it, it's, it's very hard to give a child a bad time. You put, them, you put them in the room with their phone and they figure it out right so give him one friend so no I I don't think this has ruined anything it's just made it's made things different he's you know he missed out on all those high school end of year things and but I don't think he's going to look back and say this ruined it I think it's just gonna you know I did this
0: instead of that I think you should write a parenting book next (laughs) Because there are a lot of people that like, oh, oh, this is the end. This is ruined my children's life. Yeah. No, no, no. Have a look yeah. at it in another way, you know. Yeah. And when you're reading books like, you know, Lana's Wall, let's have a look at history. We've had challenges most generations. Have, well, I guess we've been. I don't know about you, but I feel as though we've been the lucky generation, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It, it is everything, I think, makes us the people that we are today. Hey, listen, we could talk for hours, Anita. I've Good, just...
2: <laughs> absolutely. I've a year.
0: I've enjoyed this conversation very much. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. Congratulations on your new book. Thank
2: you. And thank you for having me. I, I so enjoyed and so
0: appreciate yeah. you taking yeah. the time. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook
1: or visit betterreading.com.au.
2: For free shipping and 365 day returns.
0: If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.